0: All right, Ephesians chapter 5, we flashing over there? Good deal. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21. (laughs) For those those listening online, I meant is the recording button lit up, all right? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. All right, starting verse 21. We left off with this verse for a reason, because it's actually tied to where we're going to be going. Verse 21, Ephesians 5, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's what we're going to try to get through tonight. There's a lot here. But as I get started, I just want to kind of point out to you that most people in the church today can quote. They might not tell you exactly where the address is, but most people could quote Ephesians 5.22, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. But if I were to ask most of you, what does verse 21 say? Very few people could tell me what verse 21 says. And look at what it says. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This passage does not launch into wives submit to your husbands, which is how we've often quoted it. It actually is in the context of what's been going on here. And if you remember last week when we were together, we ended up about the importance of speaking to one another in, in, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And we talked about the importance of worship we talked about the importance of uh, part of that being filled with the Spirit is letting the Spirit of God have control. And how we do that is, is we worship Him and we praise Him, even in the midst of struggles. But it's ironic to me. Look closely at this passage in verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Has anybody caught that it's not a capital S, it's a, it's a small s, which means it's actually in the middle of the sentence. In the context of this passage, It's actually, the submitting to one another is tied to what here in the context? It's tied to our worship. In the context, it's actually in that section that's talking about our worship. And as as I'm going to take some time to show you, uh, this word submit could also be translated defer to. You always kind of picture somebody, you know, someone goes to a door and one of them will get the door and they'll say, no, no, you first. That kind of a thing. This is the picture of submission. It's a deferring to one another. And in the context, it says, in your worship, defer to one another. Now, isn't it ironic <laughs> that one of the biggest struggles we have in our churches today is worship wars? in the fact that we don't defer to each other when it comes to that, but we actually set up our camps to, to fight for our kind of music. Amen. The Bible says this, you, there's psalms and there's hymns and there's spiritual songs. There's a whole myriad of such. And we we think that we have made it work out because, well, we're going to have so many traditional songs and so many choruses, and and we'll try to keep track and keep it balanced and fair and even. that's not what the Bible teaches, folks. You see, one of the things I've always wrestled with as a pastor and also in ministry as I help churches try to get turned back around is when it comes to worship, I've always had this mindset. When you take your family to Disney, you got a choice. We're either gonna do this park as a family or we're gonna split up and everybody go do their own thing. Because you know, as you go to to Magic Kingdom, there are some people that love Small World. Personally, not one. Actually, we got stuck on Small World one time. It broke. It literally broke down and we were stuck in the boat and the thing I told them afterwards was this. When we finally got off, I said, look, things break down. I understand that. The fact that it broke down is not a problem. Please, next time, just turn the music off until it's fixed. <laughs> because, yeah, trust me, it was, it was tough. But you know what? For some people, they love Small World, but for others, it's too slow. Others think Space Mountain is it. Other thing is too wild and too crazy. So you, when you get together and you want to go to Magic Kingdom and you want to do it as a family, you've got to decide we're going to do this as a family or are we're going to split up and do our own thing. If we're going to do it as a family, as, as your dad, I would say... Look, some of you think small world is too slow, but for the sake of your brother and your sister, ride it and be quiet. Some of you think Space Mountain's too wild. You know what? There's a thing called the walkthrough. You actually be in line with us right until you get on and you can just go out that little door and meet us when, when everybody gets off. The purpose is we want to stay together as a family. And in this context, it says submitting to one another in the context, in our worship, out of what? Reverence for Christ. And you're going to see tonight as we do a study on submission and husbands and wives and all this kind of stuff. The issue is we're doing this because not it's best for the church. We're doing it because of what Jesus has said, because of his commands, because of his design, because of his order, because of what he's he set up for our best. But we need to understand I'm not doing this for any other reason. I'm not even doing it because the preacher said so. Doing it because of my reverence for Christ. We need to understand what God has said, and therefore we need to submit ourselves and line ourselves up with His will. So the submit to one another is a, a deferring, and I'm going to give you an actual definition from the Greek in just a second, but put a bookmark here and jump over one book to Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> You're going to see this whole mindset throughout all the scriptures. You're going to see it over and over and over, but I just want to pull out a few places. The Philippians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 4. Do you see what's saying here? Now, what is the reason why we do what we're talking about here? What is the reason why we defer to one another? We don't consider ourselves better than other people. We, we do look to our own interests, but we're also looking to the interests of others. What is the reason why we're doing it according to this passage? Because of what? Because of our relationship with Christ. If you look at the context here, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, From his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. He says the root of reason why we do these things is should come out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it nicely because we're all guilty of it. We all have a tendency. It doesn't have to be the worship issue. It could be a lot of things. We all want our own way, don't we? Guys, let's be honest. (laughs) We have a hard time even just giving up the remote control of the TV, don't we? Because we just like even that sense of control. We all want control in some way or another. But when we get to the point where our understanding of who we are in our relationship with Christ is such that he is in control. Remember in the context here, we're back in Ephesians. We understand Paul has already just said, don't be ignorant, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be being filled, all y'all, as we looked at, by the Spirit. And by the, with the Spirit, worship the Lord, submit to one another. And we're going to get into wives and husbands in just a second. But it needs to come out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Did Jesus feel like he had to defend himself? Nope. Was he unjustly accused of things? Yeah. Oh yeah, they called him demon-possessed. They said he was a half-breed. They called him a Samaritan. Ah, uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He was forever being questioned, attacked. Even his own mother thought he was out of his mind at one mo- moment. But how did he respond? Peaceably, with love. And why? Because of his relationship with the Father. He even said in John chapter 14 to his his disciples, he says, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to desert me, but I'm not going to be alone. My Father will be with me. I'll be all right. And so, folks, I could sit here and say, like most preachers do, you need to do this. No, I'm going to say, take a little more time to really let Christ be in control. And this will be the outflow. Your automatic reaction will be to respond in these ways. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter five and begin looking at verse 22. This word submit in the Greek is the Greek word hypotasso, which means, listen closely to the definition, because if you don't understand the definition, you won't understand how to apply this passage. The Greek word hypotasso means a voluntary submission due to respect, a respect for God's design or God's plan. And I'm gonna show you another passages that kind of show that bring this out. Submit to your husbands, can never be forced. Many of us grew up in the generation where husbands would say, "The Bible says you must submit, woman." <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Well, once you try and make somebody submit, it is no longer hypotasso. Hypotasso is a voluntary submission because of God's design. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Um, go to uh, go to First Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And look at verses 12 through 13. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of what? because of their work, and be at peace among yourselves." This word respect we also see come out at the end of our passage in Ephesians, remember? At the very end, husbands love your wives as your own body, and wives make sure that you respect your husbands. God has designed roles. God has designed roles in the church, God has designed roles in the home, and God has designed it for a purpose. We understand, hopefully, that God has designed there are going to be those in church, the Bible calls them elders, It's not just the pastors, but it's also, I think the Bible teaches there should be a group of men who are within the body, who are spiritually mature, who are going to be given responsibility spiritually to oversee the body. We're to respect them. Why? Because they've earned it? No, because of their role, because of the position God has given them. And what do we do? We voluntarily defer and submit. Why? Because of God's design and God's order. Wives, in the same way, God, and you're going to see it here in a little bit as we break it, this all down, God has designed in the home that the husband be the head of the wife. It doesn't mean there's an inequality issue. We're going to kind of get to that as well. But when you deal with this issue, you need to understand that God has made a plan, and, and, and we have to trust him. We have to trust him. And what do we do? We voluntarily choose to defer because of what God has said, out of reverence for Christ. Uh, look at another passage. Let me show you another one that talks about this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, again, talking about those in authority in the church. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Look again, he says, obey, now we see the word obey tied to the word submit. How many of you remember back in the day when, when you used to make your wedding vows? The wife used to say, cherish, honor, obey. What happened over the years? It got taken out, it got taken out didn't it? In most, most of the wedding ceremonies now, the wives will say, well, I don't want that. I don't want that. I love the fact that when Chris and Allison just renewed their vows on their 20th anniversary, Allison was the one who was saying, make sure I say it. Make sure I say it. And she didn't say, Make sure he says it too. She just said, Make sure I say it. And again, there is in God's design, part of the problem that we have in our churches today is we have over the years felt like everybody's supposed to have an equal say. We, we just, we, we, it makes us feel better if everybody has an equal say. That was never God's design. I don't like his job. Yeah, well, and that's one thing over the years, if you really. as you see here, those who have been given this role, they're gonna be held in higher accountability. It wasn't say, Paul, you know this, James chapter three, don't let everybody seek to be teachers because those who do are gonna be held in higher accountability. Oh, by the way, if you've been given responsibility in the home, guess what, husbands? If you have been called to be the head, you will be held in higher accountability one day when you stand before the Lord as to how you did what he had for you to be. Did you exercise your authority according to your plan? In your desire and your plan or, or, or God's? Were you a godly husband or were you just the boss? Again, this whole thing comes back down to a mindset of, Lord, what is your plan? And I'm going to submit to your plan. Do we ultimately trust him? Let me give you one that you love. Go back to Ephesians, but look at verse chapter 6, verse 1. This one nobody has a problem with. Isn't it interesting how everybody, we, we all have bellyache with Ephesians five twenty two. But look at what it says in Ephesians 6.1, and I've never heard anybody except kids have a problem with this one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. Now, parents, don't you agree the Scripture says that children should obey their parents? Why? Because God's given them parents for a reason, and His plan is best. Why? Well, there's lots of reasons why. One is this, parents know that if you stick a screwdriver in the electric socket, you probably will die. And they have been down the road in a little bit, and they will say, don't do that. Parents know enough that you don't just chase your ball into the street, you stop and you look both ways. Part of why God's given us parents to honor them and to obey them is because if we listen to mom and dad, we might make it a little bit longer. Yet at the same time, God's also given us parents for what reason? So we'd, so we'd understand authority, well, ultimately. To exactly, to direct us to the Lord. See, uh, Josh McDowell brings this out. He said years ago, the kids would be taught godly principles and God's word and, and God's truth in the home. And then they would go to public school and it would be backed up by their teacher. Right. And it would be backed up by their governor and it would be backed up by their president. Nowadays, unfortunately, if a parents do teach that in the home, it's not backed up by anybody. Not even in some of our churches. But it is backed up by the word of God. But it is backed up by the word of God. So again, folks, as we get into breaking this down, please understand the heart of what God's saying here. This is a voluntary submission. God is not here. Any preacher that says, You must, you must, you must, they're missing the point. I want you to hear my heart tonight as I hear with this and share with you this and break this down for you. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 5 puts it this way Love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. Corinthians, just go back to the definition of love. Exactly. All the way, break that all the way down. Wives, maybe this is easier for you to hear it this way. Do not insist on your own way when it comes to your husbands, but be willing to defer to him out of reverence for Christ and his plan for order in the home. Then it goes on back in Ephesians chapter five to say this. Submit to your husbands as what? As to the Lord. Now this is, Something I want to make sure we clarify. This is not saying that the husband has the exact same authority over the wife as the Lord Jesus does. You're not her Lord in that sense. That's not what it's saying. So help me out. If it's not saying that, what is it saying then when he says, Submit to your husbands as to the Lord? What are some ideas? What are some thoughts you might have? What's he, what's he saying? In the same manner. In the same manner. Yes. Show respect. Show respect. Keep going. Reverence. Definitely reverence. But when, he, when he's saying, do this as, as unto the Lord. What's he really saying? According to the word. Definitely according to the word. Jesus didn't mean this for me. Yes, as if you were doing it for me, and actually you are doing it for me. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse sixteen. Well, who are you? How are you to know? Maybe you might be used of the Lord to win your husband. Again. Jesus didn't think that it was. I'm not going to say it right. I'm too tired. But. You're talking in Philippians chapter 2 where he didn't seek equality to be or something to be grasped to be equal with God but he took the form of the servant. Exactly. Exactly. This again is the mindset that that Christians if we're really letting Christ have control in this filling. Again, for too long we've turned the filling of the spirit into some ecstatic experience and as you remember from our study last week, what did the Bible say about being filled? It was a command. It's not an option. It's for everybody. It's To be done, it's for all, it's plural, right? It's also to be, it's always in the now, and it's something that you receive. It's being done to you. It's in the passive. Well, folks, if being filled with the Spirit was just some kind of an ecstatic experience where your eyes roll back in your head, how could you do that 24 hours a day? But the passage says we're to be under His control, be filled with the Spirit 24 hours a day. Be being filled. It's not what they've made it out to be. It's allowing the Lord Jesus, whom, as you just pointed out, has lived this type of a life. He learned obedience, it says in Hebrews, through what he suffered. He took the role of a servant. Here was the creator God who was literally allowing people to mock him. And what did he do? Knowing full well that Judas was going to deny him and, 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 and turn him in, and he continued to reach out to him in love. Some of you, I don't know what's going on in your home. Some of you might have someone that's hard to live with on each side, whether it's a male or a female. What is God saying to you? He's saying, submit to one another, defer to one another because of who I am. And husbands, I'm going to show you how I want you to act toward your wives. Wives, I want to show you how you need to act toward your husbands. He starts off with the wives and he says, you're to defer to them out of your reverence for Jesus Christ. You're not to be the one who wants to be in charge you're not to be the one who wants to call the shots. Now, I'll let me help you out, ladies. This goes all the way back to Genesis. This is a problem it goes all the way back to Genesis. If we're not going to take the time to do that cuz I have so much I want to get into tonight, but if you go into a study, you will see that Eve took the role that God had designed for the man, and she took the lead when it came to eating the fruit. The Bible says that Adam was right there with her. What did he do? Did he take the role that he was supposed to have in being leader? No, he submitted to her authority and they both ate. And then God shows up and he says, because you've done this, you're gonna have the battle of the sexes from now on. Eve, your desire is gonna be for your husband. And that doesn't mean to no be like, oh, I love my husband. No, actually that same word desire, you'll see in Genesis chapter four, where God comes to Cain when he's thinking about killing his brother. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have mastery over you. We know full well what that desire means. He wasn't in love with his brother. He wanted to control and to kill. He says to Eve, your desire is gonna to be to control your husband. Madam, because of this, you're gonna to wanna to rule. You're gonna think the only way you can get your control back is to be caveman, be boss, submit woman. And for too long, we've even heard in the church that attitude taught. That it was never what the scripture taught at all. So wives, it's in your flesh. You know it, we know it, you can't help it sometimes. Well, that's true, that's why we have to learn to let the Spirit of God continually have control. You would never know what God's gonna do when you defer. I've shared this with some of you, and some of you might have not heard this, and uh, years ago, when uh, um, I was dating Becky, her, her, uh, the year of their 25th wedding anniversary, my father-in-law went on a trip up to Alaska with a buddy. And uh, my mother-in-law, she wasn't at the time, I was just dating Becky at the time. She came to me that summer with her frustrations and she shared with me because I was youth pastor at the time. She said, "Uh, I'm the spiritual leader in our home. I'm the one who's always saying we need to go to church. I'm the one who's always saying we need to go to Sunday school. I'm the one who's always saying we need to read our Bibles. My husband won't take the lead. And you have to understand what's going on. At this time, I'm a young person in my my 20s and I'm scared to death because here it's my hopefully mother-in-law, you know. And now she's coming to me for biblical counsel on marriage. And I'm just looking ahead. A girl finally say yes to date me, you know. And I'm supposed to give biblical marriage counseling. And they're having their 25th wedding anniversary that year. I was sweating bullets. And you want to talk about throwing up a quick prayer. It was Lord help. Out of my mouth came, so you want him to be the leader? She said, yes. I said, do you tell him? She said, all the time. I said, stop. Let me tell you something about men, ladies, that you may not understand. Even if we know you're right, and most of the time when you do nag us, we know you're right, the fact that you're nagging us about it makes us want to do it even less because now, not only do I want to not wanna do it or else I would've been doing it in the first place, now if I do it, you'll think I'm positively reinforcing this behavior. And so I said, stop telling him what to do. And you make it a matter of prayer. And you just defer. She began to pray for her husband. And those of you that are in the room that know my father-in-law, at 48 years old, he became a Christian. That floored everybody. He had grown up in a Christian home, prayed a prayer when he was four, gone to Christian college, deacon in the church, preached when the pastor wasn't there. But when she stopped trying to control, and she handed over to the Lord, the Holy Spirit began to work on him, and he came to realize that he wasn't a Christian. And man, the change in him has been amazing. But guess what? God waited for her to stop acting like he couldn't do it without her. Is your God big enough to fix your husband, ladies? I can promise you that we've all got stuff that needs worked on, don't we? He's he's big enough to fix him act like he is. Husbands? The hard thing to, to understand for a woman is, when does a comment become a nag? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, the minute you repeat it. <laughs> yep. you it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to throw it out there. <laughs> let's go back now and let's talk to the husbands, because you're about to see something. If you look in the context of here, what was going on in that culture of what Paul now says to the husbands, all right? He says, For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. This whole head of the wife thing for husbands, we've always tried to look at it from the woman's side. The husband's the head of the wife, and we look at it as from the lady's side of I'm not sure I like that, but let's look at it from the man's side. All right. Husbands, you're the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Of course, you're not her savior. But you are to be the head. Now, we have to be honest. Most of us, as much as we would like to have more say, we really don't. How many of you guys have this conversation with your wife three or four times a week where she'll come and say, what do you think? And you'll go, I don't know, whatever you want. And she rolls her eyes at you like, I really want you to make a decision in this situation. Most of the time, we don't want to. We don't want to. This helps us here though, it says, as Christ is the head of the church, the husband's model or template for headship is Jesus's headship over his church. Let me ask you a few questions along that line. Um, Does Jesus force us to follow him? No, No, he doesn't. Does Jesus pursue us in love? Does he wait for us to choose to follow or to submit? He's continually offering He's continually doing things that just amaze us. How could you treat me like that, Lord? I have not been worthy of that. I haven't haven't acted in a way in which you should continually offer me grace. Husbands, yeah, you are the head. But if you think that means you get to call the shots, you've totally missed it. You're to lead, but you're to do it in a way that she is given the opportunity to choose to follow or not to choose to follow. Because that's how Jesus exercises his headship over the church. Oh, he never quits though, does he? Do <clears throat> you know the Bible says he prays for us? Did you know that? Yes. He's interceding on behalf of his bride. Husbands, do you pray for your wives? Or do you just pray that they would help and get things fixed? Do you pray for them? Do you understand that just as much as you struggle, they struggle too? I know sometimes we guys think that we have way more struggles than our wives do, they're just as human as you and I are. Their temptations may be different, but they struggle in the same way. Do you pray for your wife? Do you understand that Jesus' model is such a wonderful thing? The Bible says, wives, we need to choose to submit to your husbands because God knows what he's doing. Husbands, you need to love them in the way that Christ is teaching you how to follow. What I want to do real quick is take you to two passages in Scripture and, and, and let them kind of help open up this some more. If you do a study of scripture along this line, you're going to find that actually it's not just in Ephesians chapter five. You're going to see it in Titus and Timothy, you're going to see it in Peter. Let's just look at a couple of places. Go to Titus chapter two, and look at verses one through 10. Titus chapter two. starting in verse one, and we'll go away through verse 10. Remember, this is Paul's writing to Titus here, who's a leader in that church. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and what? Submissive, or subject, to their own husbands. Older women are to be teaching younger women to do this. They're not to be gossips and slanderers. They're not to be talking bad about everybody. They're not to be busybodies, as the scripture says in a lot of places. They're actually in the church supposed to be teaching younger women this is best. We do it, again, because of our, our understanding of God's design, submitting to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants or slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Peter's teaching on this brings up another aspect of it that we haven't even considered yet. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external in the, of the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good. Do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you see something that Peter brings out here? In this husband wife relationship, when we are not willing to be obedient to the command of God in the scriptures when it comes to how we're to treat each other, it actually affects our relationship with the Lord. Can anybody tell me why? Anybody have any idea why this affects our relationship with the Lord? Because we're one. Yes, because we're one. Keep going, there's other reasons, go ahead. Because the husband-wife relationship is a direct example of the relationship with Christ and his bride. That's right. Right. He has designed the husband-wife relationship to be a picture of the husband-wife relationship, I'm sorry, the the wife relationship between Jesus and His church. Nothing goes right when your wife's mad at you. <laughs> Nothing goes right when your wife's mad at you. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah, and and I'm not going to even get into why Mark she would ever get mad at you, but. Uh, <laughs> <Very subtle language. laughs> In my years of pastoring, one of the biggest struggles that I always dealt with, and to be honest with you, it was it was hard for me. <laughs> for a lot of reasons. One, I think it hindered my ability to preach at times, but I would have to spend so much time counseling married couples. The saddest thing is all my years, I wish I could tell you the wonderful stories of fixed marriages, people obeying the spirit and submitting to one another, the husbands who come out of those times and say, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to love her even if she never loves me back. Or why saying, even though my flesh doesn't want to, I'm going to submit myself to him even though he's a jerk. But over the years, unfortunately, most of those couples that I would work with ended up in divorce. By the way, do you know why God hates divorce? It goes back to what you were just saying. It's not because it's the worst sin. It messes up the picture he's trying to paint. Let me give you an idea how serious God takes this. Back in the the Old Testament, we see the story of the nation of Israel being brought out of Egypt. And they're in the desert. And God brought them there for a reason. He's trying to show something. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to to do some things in the situation. And they get thirsty. And they get mad at Moses. And they say, Moses, why would you bring us out here to die? We're dying of thirst. God speaks to Moses, and Moses is told by God, strike the rock. So Moses in obedience to God struck the rock and miraculously water came out of this rock in the middle of the desert and everybody was able to drink it just gushed out a little bit later we see another situation down the road they're in another desert and they're thirsty again people get all mad again and God says to him this time don't strike the rock what did he tell him to do speak to the rock, speak to the rock. what did Moses do he struck the rock, struck the rock. now he struck it the first time and no water flowed. He struck it a second time and God in his mercy allowed water to flow. But what did God just say to him after that? Well, because of this, you won't get into the, the promised land. Doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. Don't misunderstand. It wasn't saying you miss out on heaven, but he missed out on the blessing of obedience. Why was it such a big deal? I mean, good grief. I mean, well, you and I would have been in the same situation with all those people yelling at us. I mean, come on. Because Christ is because Christ is the rock. Why was he saying strike it the first time and the next time speak to it? He was painting a picture for the people. Folks, Jesus is the rock. The Bible is very clear that the rock represents Christ. The water represents the Holy Spirit. In order for the Holy Spirit to come, in order for the grace to be flowing, the rock had to be struck. And he was on the cross. But does he need to be struck anymore? How do you receive the Holy Spirit now that he's been struck? You speak to the rock. You ask him. And he'll give you eternal life. He'll give you salvation. He'll give you grace. God was painting a picture, and what did Moses do? He messed the picture up. Husbands, wives, we don't even have to let it get to the divorce issue. You got a squabble going on at home? You're messing up the picture. God takes it serious. Now, he's not going to force you. But he says again, wives, defer. Defer to your husband because of God's design and what he's trying to do. How many of you have ever thought, man, I really wanna be a a really obedient follower of Jesus Christ? Haven't we all felt that? Here's your chance to practice the picture of obedient following of Jesus Christ. Submit yourself to your husbands. Husbands, you wanna be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ? How many of you thought to yourself, I would love people to see me and think, when I see that guy, I see Jesus. I want to be in his presence, because when I'm just around him, I feel Jesus' presence. That guy's just so full of Jesus. I heard actually one lady put it to me uh, to this morning. She said, whenever people meet my mother, they say that Jesus is their BFF. <laughs> people don't know that's best friend forever. <laughs> guys, wouldn't you ever, ever thought to yourself, I would, I, I'll be honest with you, that's been one of my prayers. As much as I'd love to have people think, well, he's a really good preacher, teacher. I think I would rather you say, when I'm around Jim, I sense the presence of God, and Jesus is him, is in him, and he's allowed to be in control. Husbands, you want to have a chance to have Christ be uh, living his life through you? Love your wives. Oh, how does the scripture say how we're to do it? Love their wives as who? As Christ loved the church. Um, it, yeah. Look at the passage. Look closely. Does anybody see the tense of the word? Look at it, it says. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved, past tense, the church. Now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus still loves me. What do you mean loved? No, in the context, what is that loved, past tense, pointing to? The sacrifice of himself on the cross. Husbands, be willing to die for your wife. Now, you say, what do you mean? Jump in front of a car? No. Do you have a desire and a will? Of course. Are you willing to lay it down for your bride? Think of how cool of a marriage it would be if the husband's laying down his will for the sake of the wife, and the wife is laying down her will for the sake of the husband. Yes, ma'am. And in 1 Peter 6, um, 3-6, it says, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear, it is not your husband you have to put your utmost trust in when you obey. Right. In the same Who do you trust? Yep. Now let's take this another step deeper. Let's look at this passage now, and these passages in the context of what was going on in that day when Paul and Peter were writing these things to the church. What do you know about the way society and even people of that day, how they treated women? They were property. Jesus was the first man. Yeah, Jesus was the first. Yeah. <laughs> He treated, well, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 or 28, somewhere in there, that actually, in in Christ, there is no male or female. It doesn't mean there aren't roles, but we're equal in the eyes of God. But back in that day, women were possessions. They They were lower class. And actually, if a husband wanted to divorce a wife, all he had to do was write, I divorce you on a piece of paper, hand it to her, and she was now out. And not only that, there was no one, if no one took care of her, she literally would be a homeless person on the street and end up starving to death. And it happened all the time. And Paul and Peter say, husbands, be willing to die for her. Be willing to die for her. One of the greatest gifts I thought I could ever give Becky was when we first started dating and when we got married. We both made this vow to each other. The D word will never ever come up. It will never even be an option. We're taking that out now. We'll die before we do this. Because I wanted her to know I'm never going to leave her nor forsake her. Isn't that what Christ said to us in Hebrews chapter 13? Mm -hmm. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And in that day, Paul was saying, husbands, yes, they're the weaker vessel. Yes, let's be honest. We don't have to worry about it. There was some trying to say, women are just as strong. No, we are the stronger vessel. But you're to honor her treat her in that way. I'm teaching my son how to act toward a lady. And he's in that age where he's 15. He's actually bigger than me now. And he's starting to get his muscles. We arm wrestled yesterday to remind him that there's old man strong and young man strong. (laughs) You you guys, you know what I'm talking about. You can lift all the weights you want when you're in your teens. You run up against a guy that's an older, there's just something about old man strong. I used to think that I was back when the day when I was, playing basketball and baseball in college, and I was lifting the weights, and I was in my top shape. I thought I was strong, big, strong guy. And I remember I went up to this one man, his name was Willis Cloy, He's in the church in New Orleans, and uh, the man had grown up all his life on the cotton fields in Mississippi, and he was 80 years old, he was 80 years old. I walked up to him and I shook his hand one Sunday morning, you know, and I thought I'd give him a little squeeze, you know? Well, Willis got a little twinkle in his eye and squeezed back, and I thought, that's pretty good. So I decided I'm gonna squeeze a little more, and Willis smiled at me and squeezed a little more back. Well, so now it's turned into a man again. I mean, we're talking two Rams wanting to do this, all right? And uh, so I then decide before he hurts me, I better give him everything I got. <laughs> and so I did. I gave him everything I had. He didn't even flinch. <laughs> so now there's, the, 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 i I've now I'm out of cards with when it comes to squeezing. So I have to now try to use psychology on this guy because he's about to break my hand, but I'm not going to let him know that. And so I then looked him in the eye and I said, I'm taking it easy on you, old man. (laughs) Lying through my teeth, baby, because the whole time I'm saying it, I'm squeezing with everything I got. He smiled and he said, I'm taking it easy on you, and he just went, pop, and I dropped. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I dropped, I was in my suit and tie, I dropped to the floor. Oh, and I thanked him for not sending me to the hospital. It was, there's a difference between old man strong and young man strong, but you know what? My son is in that phase where he's starting, and I have to say, you don't go pick up your mama. Because he wants to pick her up. Show how strong he is. That's not how you treat a lady. That's not how you treat a lady. She's the weaker vessel, and you need to honor her. You need to hold the door for You need to, you ask our kids, we have a lot of different rules as you know, but there are two that will get you pretty much put to death. (laughs) One is you don't lie. The moment we catch you in a lie, how are we gonna ever trust you again? You do not lie. And you ask our kids, they'll tell you what they are. And number two is, you never back talk mama. You never back talk mama. Because we wanted to teach them from the beginning. And and you know what we're not perfect in this, but let me give you a good example of how I've been blessed. And some of you heard me share this story before. Some of you may not. When I was back pastored in the Atlantic, came home one night from a long day of work, and as you know, husbands sometimes we get home from work, and the last thing we want to be when we walk in the door is referee. You know what I'm talking about. But sometimes when the wife's been home dealing with all the kids, they're at that. all they can say is wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> We've all heard that, haven't we? So I walk in the door, and. Eh, there's just chaos going on. And there's tears and screaming and all this stuff. And Becky tells me what Nicole did. And my first reaction was Mount Vesuvius. And I said, Nicole, here's your consequence. Here's your discipline. You're going to your room for a year and a half. <laughs> and Nicole, whatever came out of my mouth was extremely unfair, right along that line. And Nicole looked at me and said, That's not fair. Mom, tell him it's not fair. And Becky stood there and she said, he's your father. You do what he says. Cole, of course, wants to go pack. (laughs) And when she's out of earshot, Becky said to me quietly, can we go in the other room and let me tell you what all happened? And then she explained how in her mind, I had been unfair, but you're the dad, you get to make the call. But I just want you to understand the rest of the story. here's what's happened. And then I had to choose what my response was going to be. I was able to go back in to Nicole's room and say, your mom and I have talked. And I was unfair. You only have to be here for a year. (laughs) But you see, in that instance was a picture of what we're talking about here. She could have easily said, well, don't listen to your father. That's not right. And she could have taken the role of the head. But she submitted to me. Even though she, at that time, was feeling like oh, I was being unfair. And this, you mamas, you know what I'm talking about, what goes on inside of you when you feel like your kids have been treated unfairly. But she submitted out of reverence for Christ. I then had to humble myself and go say I was wrong. And the reason I've come to this realization is because your mom is very wise. But I was the one who made the decision. And it all was a picture of what God's designed. Folks, we, we ain't perfect. Please don't hear that but I can promise you we are reaping the benefits in our family of striving to live in accordance with God's design for the home, and it's best. It is best, but like you pointed out, the issue is do we really trust God? Do we really trust God? Yes, sir, go ahead. Yeah, in both cases, it's us individually submitting to the Spirit in and- us. Yes. You can't help it. Exactly. And he loves her more than I do. Yes. That's <coughs> it. A, that's a, that's a, and again, in the context, it's tied to be filled with the Spirit. Right. The, being, the filling of the Spirit, folks, is, is simple. It's the Spirit of God within you being in control. That's all it is. Yeah. That's all it is. The filling of the Spirit is not anything else except the Spirit of God within you being in control. That's the filling of the Spirit. And that is a choice. And it is a choice. As it says in Romans chapter 6, we choose whom we're going to obey. Well, Jim, where you brought up the scripture where it says there's no male or female, Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. We've taken that and we've, the world has polluted it. Just being equal does not mean being the same. Right. And that's where we struggle. Right. Well, and again, that's part of what's going on in our churches. Because we've gone away from God's design for elders and we've gone to congregational government where everybody has an equal say. And we have some fun business meetings where we show that doesn't really go real well. Do we really trust that God's design will be, well, what if they make bad decisions? Well, you know, what, if, what well, let's just look at it with the husband-wife relationship. What if your husband is someone you don't want to submit to? Husbands, what if your wife is someone you have a hard time loving? Well, let's go look at the context here again, what the passage says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Hang on for a second. When did he do that? When we were saved yet. When, yeah, According to Romans 5, when we were his still sinners, he died for us. When we were his enemies, he died for us. Were we lovable? No. But he did it anyway. Keep reading, though. It gets even better that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at, look at the, and then he says in the same way, husbands, love your wives with own bodies, we'll get to in just a second, but look at the context of what's going on here. He said, first of all, he loved the church when she wasn't lovable. And he did it for a reason. He did it so that he could cleanse her. It's a once and for all thing. And that he might sanctify her so that he could present her to himself without spot, blemour, blemish, or wrinkle. Here, uh, here's another thing. In, in God's eyes, you're already there. Now, he's still working on you in this process. Remember, it's that whole thing of justification, sanctification, glorification. But when God looks at you and when he deals with you, he deals with you as the finished product. Stick with me here. I want you to see this. It hopefully will help you in your relationship with your spouse. God doesn't look at us through his blood, as we've been told, in the sense of we're still old, nasty, dirty, but his blood covers us, and he sees us through his blood, and we only look good because, uh uh you've already been cleansed. The blood has already cleansed you. You're not the same old rat, rat nasty person, but he just sees his blood, and you're okay. You have been cleansed. And just like with the situation which I pointed out to you a time or two for about Peter, when he says you are... Simon, but one day you will be Peter. And then when Peter makes his profession of his faith and he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my my father has revealed this to you. And now you are Peter. Later on, he still looks like the old guy. And Jesus gets his attention and says, Simon, Simon. And he says, (laughs) Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. And I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith won't fail. And after you make your mess up, that you won't quit. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, you don't know. You don't know. I don't know about the rest of these guys, but I'll die for you. I'll go to prison and death. And then what does Jesus say next? He says, I tell you who? Peter. Peter. What is, he calls him by his new name, his finished work name. Mm. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to deny three times you even know me. He was pointing out his fault, yet still seeing him as the finished product. One of the things I've learned to say to my kids when they're in that ah! phase as they continue to go through, and we all still do as well, is you're going to get there. You're going to get there. And my father, is, I'm learning to hear him as he says to me, Jim, yeah, there's some things I'm still working on, but you're going to get there. I see you the finished product, and I deal with you in that way. I'm looking at, well, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Stop looking at where your spouse is right now. Look at, if they're in Christ, what God is going to do. See the finished product. It'll make all the difference in how you treat them, because you'll stop looking at how they are right now. Like I've told you before, it, it, the Bible teaches us to focus on the process, not the product, in, in the sense of trying to measure results right now. If we try to measure results right now, well, you guys are raising teenagers, you'll want to kill them, won't you? Because they <laughs> they're not coming out like you thought they would. But if you're a godly parent, you'll focus on what's going to happen, and you'll be faithful to the process. Yes, ma'am. It boils down to, do you love Christ enough to walk the path of that sanctification with your spouse through whatever that takes you? And the question is, what is okay, we all know that what we're looking at tonight is truth. What is the biggest struggle we face? Let's Throw it out to me. What? Okay. In what way? You want your own way. You want your own way. Okay. Let's just say that you actually swallow your pride and you humble yourself and you hand your spouse over to the Lord and you treat them the way the, the Lord says to, and you don't see any change. Faith. Say it. Faith. Faith. Fear. Of the what what might was the question? Disobedience. The question is, what is our big struggle when that happens? We start to say, "Lord, I did it, but." Because we expect the react instant response. Well, we have false expectations, so. Yes, that's it exactly. We actually submit to God with false expectations. This is what I want you to understand. This gives me a little heads up because it's easy for us to say, okay, Jim, I, I hear you. I've never thought about it this way, but I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna try this. <laughs> if you have false expectations, <laughs> let Jesus do it. Hey, best way I can help you is this. Have you ever driven down a road and noticed someone hadn't cut their lawn? Does it bother you? Now let me just ask you an honest question. You're driving down the road and someone hadn't mowed their lawn. Does it bother you? Hopefully not. I mean, hopefully hopefully you're not going, but I didn't cut their grass. Listen, why shouldn't it, why sh- why shouldn't it, it shouldn't bother you? Why? It's because it's not your grass, right? It's one of the ways I've learned as to whether or not, I, <laughs> what's that? Uh, it's all yours on your, on your street, it's all your grass. here's what I want you to hear is this is when you hand something over to the Lord it no longer is your grass right and whether it grows and becomes weeds or nothing happens it's not your grass when you catch yourself taking it back and worrying or getting upset wait a minute Lord I gave that to you that's not my grass anymore I'm gonna just act the way you tell me to act Folks, let me just tell you, I have seen it over and over. When that happens, the Spirit of God is allowed to move. And as much as I told you, I saw a lot of marriages that wouldn't do that, I have seen those that have. Kind of goes and, back to the old, you know, if, if a wife is nagging her husband, are we nagging God? I mean, if. In a sense, in, you are. And if we're truly in a a believing relationship with him and we are speaking to him and he we know that he listens he says i hear he knows already so you know not to be offended by his methods right exactly i love how you put it we're really nagging god if this is true we're really nagging god because the issue really isn't this flesh and blood it's a spiritual issue let's wrap up with this the scripture teaches that we're to love our wives as our own bodies. Why? Why? Because Christ and the church become one, and, and because you are one. Remember, the, the man shall what? He shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two become shall become one flesh. That's why sexual sin is kind of serious in the eyes of God, because we are joining yourself in union to someone who God didn't want you to join yourself in union with, especially if you're married. God has designed this relationship, and the Bible says it's a mystery, but it doesn't really mean a mystery in the sense of we'll never figure it out. It's actually the word mystery is, it's, it's been something that's been veiled, but now it's being opened up. This has actually all along been pointing to Christ in his church. And in Christ in the church, we become one. What is the attitude of, those of us who are the bride of Christ, we are to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, here's my will, but nevertheless not my will, but yours. Husbands, you're also to be picturing the relationship of Christ to his church. He doesn't force us, he's patient. His mercies are new every morning. He's gentle, he's kind honest, it's not one of the first things we think of when we describe ourselves. We want to think about intelligent, quick-witted, bold, man in charge. But Jesus is trying to show through us what Christ really looks like. Satan is out to attack the church. Agreed? You know where he really wants to attack the church? In the home. In the home, in the husband-wife relationship, he wants to attack the church and the family. Why? Because this is one of the ways God is one of the greatest ways God is designed to model His gospel to the world. If He can blow it up there, He can definitely have an effect on how the gospel is presented. So, stop trying to make each other do the other. Don't worry about whether or not your spouse does what they're supposed to do. As far as it lives with, lies with you. Live at peace with everyone. Be obedient to the Spirit of God, and watch the benefits result. Let me pray for us. Father, everything we've heard tonight we know is true. And those of us, I believe most of us here have your spirit within us and, 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 and it resonates with our spirit. We know this is truth. Yet at the same time, not only are your mercy is new every morning, our flesh is renewed every morning. We have to daily lay it on the altar. But Lord, you're teaching us what it means to be filled with your spirit. You're teaching us what it means to allow you to have control. We choose whom we're going to obey. We have to know what your word says, and then we need to ask you to do it and believe that you will. And so, Lord, my prayer now is is that husbands would seek by faith to allow you to show them what loving their spouse looks like in their home, the specifics of it, Lord, the neat thing is in each of our relationships, you know us all intimately, and your relationship with each of us is a little bit different because you know how to relate to us. And in the same way, husband-wife relationships are gonna be a little bit quirky in the sense they're gonna be different, but that's okay. Lord, teach us husbands how to love our wives. Lord, you have desire to manifest the beauty of the bride through women and through wives in the home. Father, give grace to these ladies as they yield to your spirit. And the power of your spirit is released as both husband and wife begin to let you have control. Lord, heal marriages. Lord, heal marriages not only that are in this room. Heal marriages that are listening right now online, wherever they may be. Father, right now the enemy's winning. But that's okay. It doesn't mean he's not, uh, that you're not more powerful. You are. But we need to stop thinking, we need to go to a special service and begin to believe that you will take control by your spirit as we yield to you in obedience. May it start in our homes. And Father, I thank you for the fact that some of the men in here who might struggle with pornography, others who struggle with other addictions and things like that, I believe that your spirit's showing me that as we yield to you in this area, whether it comes to our spouses, those other areas go out the window as well. And I thank you for that. Lord, bring us back next week as we take a look at more instructions from your word as to what the family is to look like. Thank you for the fact that you've been patient. (laughs) Thank you that you are willing to repay us for the years the locusts have eaten. May none of us walk out of this place tonight feeling beat up or condemned or rejected or despised by you. Lord, may we sense your love for us and your willingness to say, what have you got? Bring it to me i'll make it beautiful from here lord we thank you for this in your name we pray amen